0: But every now and then you'll hear in groups like this, you'll hear people talk about, um, <clears throat> you know, that just wasn't very deep. That wasn't a very deep sermon. You ever heard that? that, that you know, I don't know, that night, that church, they just not very deep just kind of surface level, you know? You ever heard something like that? That just wasn't a very deep sermon. You know, that church is just not very deep. I really need to go somewhere else that really gets deep into things, you know? They just really dive deep. I'm looking to dive deep into scripture or into whatever it is. But typically when someone uses that kind of language, I mean, I don't know what everybody means by that, but typically what they're saying is something like, I don't, or I didn't hear anything from that message or that service, I didn't hear anything that I didn't already know. Like nothing came to me that night, nothing came to me, that message, or that preacher didn't say anything that I didn't already know. That I didn't already what? Know. Now here's how I would respond to that. And and first of all, I get it. I, I get where you're coming from. I get the sentiment. I understand. But I think this is an appropriate response. Deep, listen closely. Someone taught me this a few years ago and it's changed my life. Deep is not what you know, it's what you do. Deep is not what you know, it's what you do. Here's what I mean by that. Perhaps what reveals spiritual depth More than anything else, is your ability to apply truth, not just know truth. Did you catch it? Perhaps what reveals your spiritual depth more than anything else is your ability not just to know the truth, but to apply the truth. The people in my life that I would say love Jesus a whole lot. And I mean, there are people who care deeply about him and following him, they wake up every day with a sense of like, God, what do you want from me today? And I want to follow you. The people who I would say follow Jesus and and have given him their whole life, those people have a passionate pursuit of what it means to live out their faith. Not just to know a lot of knowledge, but to actually live out their faith. And I'm guessing that's your desire too, is to Live out your faith, not just know a lot of things. And you may say, well, Austin, the gospel isn't about what we do. I mean, it's not like a a checklist. We're not here to just kind of do all the duties. And we're not here to earn God's love by doing all the things. It's freely given to us. Correct. Correct. But if you want to go deeper in your faith, I would encourage you to submerge yourself, not in information, but transformation. It is one thing to submerge yourself in just acquiring more and more knowledge. It is another thing to allow this question to consume you. How does God want to transform me into his image? How does God want to transform me? If you will let that question consume you, that will take you deeper in your faith. So maybe you're in here tonight and this was just kind of what was on my heart is that someone in here tonight you're asking the question, how do I like grow deeper? How do I how do I become more spiritually mature? And I just want to encourage you around that theme that deep is not what you know, it's what you do. And so yes, it may may include some knowledge, it may include you getting into his word? Are you getting into the, the right kind of environment where some people can speak truth into your life? But ultimately, it is about what you do, not what you know. A life that receives the love and the grace of Jesus, but doesn't ask the question, how is God transforming my life, is an incomplete Christian life. And so ask the question, And one of the ways that God transforms us and one of the ways that he takes us deeper into relationship with him. And what I believe he wants to talk to us tonight is when he wants to develop in us a more unique desire and a passionate pursuit of one word. And that's the word holiness. I want to talk tonight just for a few minutes about holiness now, I don't know if when you hear that word you cringe a little bit or you go, "Not the H word, Austin. Like that's get that away from us. We don't want that. You know, this life with Jesus is all about just His grace and His love, and and we're just kind of swimming in that. Don't bring holiness into the picture. I don't I don't know what you're kind of coming to the conversation about holiness how you're coming to that tonight. But I want to talk about it a little bit and hopefully unpack it and maybe make it a little bit more simple for you to grasp tonight. And I want to do so by looking at the book 1 Peter. In the Bible, book of 1 Peter is all the way really almost to the very end of the New Testament. I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and let's read a few verses in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13. Verse 13, it says this. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Verse 14, listen up. As obedient children, as what? Obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, So be holy in all that you do. One version I read said, Be holy in your conduct. Verse 16, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Now, God is a holy God. We talked a little bit about this last week. He is a holy God. And what that means is that, in part, what it means is that He is set apart. There is no one like him. There's there's no one like him in all of the earth. He He is completely set apart and divine in nature. He is completely holy. And part of what makes him holy and set apart like that is that he is completely without sin. There is no sin in him. So we talked last week about part of the gap between you and God is that you and I, we are full of sin. We have a sin nature. And God is completely holy. So there is a gap between us, and we cannot bridge that gap. So what is the scripture asking of us when it says, be holy? When it calls you and I to be holy, what is it actually saying? What is it asking of us? Certainly, it's not asking that you and I be perfect. I mean, if that was the case, then there wouldn't be the need for Jesus dying on the cross for us. We know that he was perfect on our behalf. Certainly it's not asking that you be like God. You cannot be God. But it's clear throughout Scripture that God is calling his children to pursue holiness. So I want to give you just kind of a, a short definition of holiness or the pursuit of holiness that I think has been really helpful for me and I hope it's helpful for you. And that is this: the pursuit of holiness is the continual setting apart the continual setting apart of my heart to pursue God in a way that leaves no room for distraction. The continual setting apart of my heart to pursue God in a way that leaves no room for distraction. Man, are you, are you aware of the amount of distractions in your life that pull you away from what it means to follow Jesus? Are you aware of how much distraction is in your life that is pulling you apart from Him or that's pulling you toward something else? You know, sometimes distraction can look like sin. Sometimes it's just stupid. You know, some, those stupid doesn't have to always be sin. I, I was thinking about, you know, if if... Gosh, if, if someone from one of the great revivals that has taken place in history could come into our day and age in 2023 and see the amount of time that we spend on, on media or just the amount of time that we waste our lives doing things that don't matter, what would they say to us? And I don't know that they would say that's sinful, but sometimes I wonder if they would say it's just stupid. Like, don't waste your life on things that aren't going to produce an eternal benefit. And yeah, life, I mean, enjoy life and have fun, but man, how many of us are completely like submerging our lives into things that are just distracting us? They're absolutely distracting us from what it means to follow Jesus and follow Him with a sense of a pursuit of holiness. Hear me closely a gospel message that excludes me from having to take an introspective look at my life and ask, where is God trying to form me in his image? If it excludes that, it is not the gospel, because the gospel involves and requires that you and I take regular looks at our lives and say, Am I missing something? Is is something distracting me from from a holy pursuit of him? Am I involving myself in things that are opposite of what God's called me to? This is a part of the Christian life, is to take a look at ourselves and to go, God, where is my heart? Where is it being taken somewhere that's apart from you? So I just want to lay out tonight for the next few minutes three truths about holiness. Three truths about holiness and really about the pursuit of holiness. The pursuit of holiness. Number one, you taking notes? Nobody's taking notes. Okay. There's a special place in heaven for people who take notes. You don't believe me? Find out the hard way. Just kidding. That was harsh. Number one is this. A pursuit of holiness. Leans into nearness more than likeness. I want you to hear that. A pursuit of holiness leans into nearness more than likeness. My hands get sweaty and I can't get this stupid top off. Riley, can you help me? Thank you, Riley. He's a strong guy. Y'all give him a hand. Now, one of the things that I, I constantly I write this out for for college students especially, but really for anybody, when asking about what is the gospel, what's the center of the gospel, how can I kind of uh, how can I get it simple in my mind? One of the things that I constantly point people back to is that the gospel the gospel is not try harder. If we are not careful, we can, we can think that if I'm going to follow Jesus, it just means I need to just need to tie up my shoes tighter and really just grip down on this thing and fight against sin and do better. I just need to do better, right? But I constantly am trying to encourage people. The gospel is not about trying harder. The gospel is about drawing nearer. Because when we draw nearer, we become like him. Nearness always leads to likeness. True nearness leads to likeness. Now, sometimes what happens, and you have may have found this to be true, is that if you have nearness and it does not lead to likeness, what you have is what we call emotionalism. Can you say that word? Emotionalism. If you have nearness to God that does not produce likeness to him, then perhaps what you and I are falling into is we just like kind of the spiritual hype. We like the feeling of God. We like being near to him, whether that's in a worship service like this, or maybe it's it's nearness at my house and I just open up his word and I sense his nearness, but it is not transforming me into his likeness. Then what I have is emotionalism. I'm just kind of caught up in the emotion of things. And we have to be careful that we don't just get caught up in the emotion and the nearness of God because it is sweet. And when he gives us his nearness and when we seek after him and we have that unity with him, it is a sweet thing. But we have to, we have to let that lead us to likeness. Now, sometimes what you may discover is that you get likeness in your pursuit of God. You get likeness without nearness. So if you get likeness, but you don't have nearness, write this down. What you have is called Phariseeism. Phariseeism is the condition that you may have found growing up in church where a lot of people do the right things. They kind of stay away from all the wrong things. They commit all the right rules. They check the right boxes. But oftentimes it's done without the right heart. Oftentimes it's just done out of, well, this is what I grew up to know is right. And so they have likeness, but they don't have nearness. the, The likeness has come without a love for God. This is what the Pharisees fell into. They didn't have a love for God. They just had a let's follow all the right rules and do all the right things. And I just want to tell you tonight that God is not impressed with your likeness if it does not come from a place of nearness. He is not impressed with your likeness if it doesn't come from a place of nearness. But my nearness to him is what drives my pursuit of holiness. In the New Testament, Jesus says these words. He says, If you abide in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. That whole passage there in the book of John is talking about he is the vine, we are the branches. If we stay connected to him as the vine, then we will produce fruit. If we draw near to him, we will produce likeness, but it has to be a true, sincere nearness to him. And so that's what we're going after is not just behavior modification and just, okay, make sure you get the likeness part right. No, no, no. What we're going after is if I draw near to God, then he will begin to transform my heart and the likeness will come. Number two a pursuit of holiness is not just about drawing nearer but a pursuit of holiness releases God's power to flow freely in your life a pursuit of holiness releases God's power to flow freely flow freely in your life hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says this therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders us And the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Do you hear the language there? I mean, it's this call to throw off anything that is hindering you, to get rid of anything that's holding you back, anything that's entangling you from getting the most of Jesus working through you, throw it off. I remember a few years ago, or several years ago, I kind of changed my, my rhythm of exercise. I, for for years, I was just kind of going to your, you know, your Gold's Gym or your Planet Fitness or whatever kind of thing. And someone introduced me to CrossFit several years ago. And so I became kind of a, a CrossFit nut. Um, and so I got into it. And I remember one of the first things that, that radically, like, blew my mind is I show up to the box there. We're doing these workouts. And very quickly, I realized that it's common for the guys especially to like get into the workout or sometimes even before the workout and just throw off their shirt. You guys seen this? Anybody do CrossFit? Nah, you guys. Okay. Well, this is a common thing. I know you may think it's weird, but like in the middle of a workout, they just, people just start undressing. It was like, oh, this is kind of odd, right? And, and, And so one time I was like, hey man, I asked this guy, I was like, hey, is this like a, a cult thing? Like, I got to do this in order to belong here or something? And he said, yeah, I'm just kidding. But he, and what he told me is this. He said, man, honestly, like, sometimes the shirt just kind of like gets in the way. Like, it gets heavy because of sweat and all this kind of stuff. And then we're doing these gymnastics movements and all these kinds of things. And so it's just easier if we just take it off. And at first I was like, that's stupid. I am not going to fall into your cult. And then I realized that it was actually kind of true, that there were some things that I felt a little bit freed up. If I didn't have a shirt, I know it's kind of weird. But this is exactly what happens with sin, that it is literally like a heavy shirt on you, on your life. And the scripture here is calling you to throw it off, to get rid of anything that entangles you anything that has you bound up, anything that is preventing the flow of God's spirit through your life, listen to me, your holiness will free God up to work in your life in ways that you've never experienced. And I say that with no shame, no condemnation toward you, if you are in Christ, Hear me closely. Your sin does not separate you from God's love. This is not about God's love. You have it freely and fully. But your sin does restrict his ability to work through you. And so the call for us is to throw off anything that entangles us, to get rid of anything that may hold back what God is wanting to do and how he is wanting to work in and through us. I read this scripture earlier today, and I wanted to share it, especially with those of you who you feel like God set you up in a place of spiritual leadership. Maybe you're leading a small group. Maybe you're leading on your team spiritually, but you feel like God's got you in a place of spiritual leadership. Now, I would some way argue that God has all of us in that place. Being a leader means that you have influence. So if you have influence in anybody's life, then you have a responsibility to spiritually influence them. But listen to the verse. I want to read to you out of 2 Timothy 2, verse 20. It says this, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Hear that. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter, from just the common stuff, will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So verse 22, he ends this. He says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Here's what I want to invite you to. For those of you who want it, for those of you who hunger for God to move through you powerfully, to use you in other people's lives, to reach other people, for those of you who want that, listen, you can go read every leadership book that you want to read, but I'm telling you the most important thing that you can do to set yourself up to be used for God is to pursue holiness not the common stuff not not some some is common but some is set apart and for those who say god i want to be set apart god i want you to use me powerfully then it is imperative that you throw off anything that entangles you now, i want to close with this one point number 3 a pursuit of holiness Commits to next obedience. Just just the next obedience. The next act of obedience. Because here's what I have learned to be true. The bridge, the catalyst that takes me from nearness to likeness. I know some of you can't read it here. The catalyst in between my nearness that takes me to likeness to Christ is obedience. So I draw near to God. I want to be near to Him. I want to be in His presence, whether that's here in a room like this. Maybe it's just you in your apartment just seeking God's face, just on your knees before Him, praying to Him, asking God to speak to me. Maybe it's reading your Bible. Something like that, real simple. But I want to be near to Him. And then the catalyst that moves you toward likeness to Him is obedience. What's the next act of obedience that he's calling you to? What's the simple acts of obedience that are in his word that you have yet to follow? Obedience is the catalyst that will propel you toward likeness to him. And sometimes I think we we overcomplicate obedience and I just want to go, man, just, just the next thing. What's the next act of obedience that God's calling? It doesn't have to be anything major. Just what's the next thing? God, I, I I think you're asking me to just apologize to somebody for being a little bit of a jerk. God, I, I think you're just I think you're asking me to to maybe take aim at how my love for money is is producing a greedy spirit in me. What's the next act of obedience? God, I I think that's something that you're trying to transform in my life. And so maybe I just need to to take the next week and, and not buy any new clothes. If you're really open to going deeper in transformation, not information, then how does he want to transform you through just the next act of obedience? God, I think you're just asking me to say no to the next invitation to go to a Party that I know there's a lot of people who don't care about you at all there and are pursuing a whole different lifestyle than what I'm pursuing. I think you're just asking me to say no to that. God, I think you're asking me to maybe adjust some of the people I hang around. God, I think you're asking me to place a higher value on my involvement in the church. God, I think you're asking me to to love somebody. God, I think you're asking me to change my posture, my attitude toward a friend or a family member, God, I think just, just the next act of obedience. What is the next act of obedience that God's called you to? Because this is what's been what's been burdening my heart. I, I talked, I think two weeks ago, I talked about the story of Joshua. And the Joshua 5 generation is a, is a generation that is really compelling to me. These are a people that came through the wilderness. God rescued them out of Egypt. He brings them through the wilderness, and he is setting them up to go into the promised land. And right as they cross the Jordan River, they get up and they're, they're literally looking into what God is going to deliver them into the promised land. After 40 years of being in the wilderness, God stops them. And he says, I want you to camp out here for a month. And for one month, God takes them through a series of events. That is basically what he is doing is he is trying to prepare them. He's trying to do a work in them before he can do a work through them. And I talked a few weeks ago about how he wants to produce a hunger. And so he was producing a hunger in them by he dried up the manna. He didn't let any manna come down. Now they had to go look for food and that kind of thing. But one of the other things that he does in the people, in his people, the Israelites, is he produces a desire for holiness. Go read the story in Joshua 5. He produces a desire of, for holiness in them. So I want you to hear, when God wants to move through a group, through a community of people, I believe it's true for individuals, but even through, through communities, when he wants to do something great through a group like this, he has to elevate the importance of holiness in them. Do you hear me? He has to elevate in them what it means to be set apart. That you and I If we want to see God do great things in our lives personally, but not just in our lives personally, but in our community, if we want to see a revival happen in Statesboro, if we want to see God just go off at Georgia Southern, if we want to see God do that, then he has to elevate us, in us, the importance that we be set apart. That we're not of the world. We're different. We don't love the same things that the rest of the world loves. And it's not this we're better than them and that kind of thing. No, no, no. It's just I want God to use my life. I want to be freed up so that God can work powerfully in me. I want to be useful for the kingdom. I want want God to move in me. I want God to use us. And I just think what he's trying to do is pull out in each and every one of us a desire for holiness, which often comes through just obedience the next act of obedience. And for some of you right now, you even have that on your mind right now. Okay, God, I know what you're wanting me to do is this, and I'm just going to obey you. I don't have to see the future. I don't have to know how it's going to play out. I don't have to know all the details. All I know is I'm just going to give you my yes. I'm just going to give you my yes and say, okay, I'll obey. I'll obey And so I've been praying all day for you that that God's spirit would reveal to you exactly what it is of how he's calling you to obey him. But as I've been praying, I sense just a, a very specific response that needs to happen. You know, last week we had the opportunity in here for some of you, you decided to give your life to Jesus. Very first time you came into relationship with him. You were justified and you were redeemed. You received the free gift of salvation. We had 10 people in here raise their hand and say, yep, that's me. That's unbelievable. And just like it took courage for you to raise your hand and say, yep, I want to give my life to Jesus. I felt like what God is wanting to do is to call some of you into that kind of space where you go, I know how he's wanting me to obey him. And I believe it's the specific act of baptism. Now, I don't know what your familiarity is with baptism or how you come into that but baptism is an act of obedience for believers those who give their life to Jesus the very next act is i'm going to go public with my faith it's an act of obedience so if you've been around here you kind of know what we do we have a tub usually down here and we get in there and when we say <clears throat> have you given your life to Jesus do you trust him Now you're going public with your faith to your friends, to your church family. You're asking for their accountability, and we dunk people down with the old, up with the new, right? And some of you in here tonight have never been baptized. And I know that seems like just a simple thing, and like, is that really that important? But here's here's why I think it's important it's an act of obedience, it's an act of obedience. And sometimes what God does is he looks for our yes. And when when we say yes to just one, the next thing, the next obedience, it can begin to unlock the next yes. Like you get comfortable with saying, okay, God, I'll obey you. Like the first time it was a little bit scary, but I obeyed you and then you took care of me. Okay, let me say yes to the next thing. God, where are you calling me to obey you next? And I believe that some of you need to say yes To the call of baptism. I've given my life to Jesus, but I've never been baptized, and it's time for me to do that. And the invitation is for you tonight. Maybe some of you, maybe you got baptized when you were a little kid. But if you were honest, you didn't really know what was going on, you're not really sure what it was about, you just kind of did it because your parents told you to do it and that kind of thing. What we say around here at our church is this: you need to get your baptism on the right side of your salvation. It happened when you were a kid. But maybe in this past year, you said, no, this year is when God has like really set me on fire. And I've really given my life to him. That you need to get your baptism on the right side of your salvation. And you need to say yes to the act of obedience and following with baptism. And so that's what I I just want to invite us into tonight. So can we all just stand to our feet? We're going to close out here. But I really believe that some of you need to respond and say, you know what? It's time. It's time for me to take that step and I need to get baptized. So what we're gonna do is actually next week, we're gonna have a baptism service. For anybody who wants to get baptized, anybody who's given their life to Jesus, they feel like this is their next step of obedience, then we're gonna baptize people next Wednesday. And um, so that's what we're gonna do. And I'm just gonna invite you right now, if you think, that's me, that's my act of obedience, that's what I need to do, then I just want to call you out from your seat right now to just come up here and stand right here. And after the service, I'm going to gather with you and a few other volunteers, and I'm going to show you how you can just give us your name so we can contact you tomorrow and get some things set up. But I believe next Wednesday night, we're going to have a baptism service for people who are taking the step of obedience to say, I'm going to obey Jesus and go public with my faith in baptism. So here, right now, I think we should do it right in front of everybody. If that's you, and you want to go public with your faith and get baptized, why don't you get out from your seat right now, come up here, stand up here with me? Anybody? Anybody want to go public with their faith? Come on, Josh. I see you. I see you. Anybody else? Come on. Only took one. Come on. Right here. Come on. Keep coming. Keep coming. Let's go, right here. Yeah. This is unbelievable. Keep on coming. This is what it looks like when people say, you know what? The most important thing to me is to obey what God's calling me to do. Listen to me. A community like this, come on, keep coming, y'all are good. A community like this who gets super fired up and passionate about Jesus but can't attach obedience to that is a dangerous place. I'm not interested in that kind of place. I'm interested in a group of people who know how to attach passion with obedience. And this right here is a sign that there are people who want to obey God, right? You wanna obey and take that next step of obedience. This is powerful. So I want you to look right here. Next week, we're gonna go for it. Now, some of you, you may decide you wanna do Sunday instead of Wednesday or whatever. We're gonna follow up and get all this sorted out. But right here, um, where are the volunteers? A few of you. We've got some um, sheets of paper here. Y'all stay right here. I want to talk to you guys after. But here's what I want you to know as the rest of you leave here tonight. The rest of you leave here tonight. What is your act of obedience? It's going to be baptism for a lot of people, but for you it may be something else. But he's calling you to obey. He's calling you to obey. So what is that act of obedience? Can we pray together? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your people. Thank you that you are drawing people close to yourself. And God, you are are drawing them in and you are setting hearts ablaze for you. And so God, may we be a people who believe that our faith is personal, but it's never private. And we, we are confident and we are bold to go public with our faith. So for each person down here who's decided to do that, God, I pray that you would empower them and embolden them as they seek to go public with their faith. We love you, Jesus. And everybody said.